Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our first episode of 2021. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, the man of the hour, Bobby Blaze. Woo! The nature boy! Hey, it's not arguable anymore. Sean is the greatest worker in the history of our business. Thus says the nature boy. There's you the way to start off 2021. Happy fucking New Year, wrestling fans. Rick Flair saying Shawn Michaels the greatest worker in the history of the business. What do you think about that, Professor? Um, uh, you know, I I know a lot of people like him. I I never did, but you know that's just me. Um, I thought he was kind of a smug asshole, but you know, uh, who am I to argue with Ric Flair? <laughs> that's what that's what I'm going with. That's yeah. why I brought it up there, man. Uh, man, we got through uh, you know the the new year, so it's 2021. Forget all the bullshit stuff in the past of last year. Let's move on and make this year a very strong year. Let's rebound this year, man. That's what we need to do. Rebound. How about that? Um, you know, just just as we were getting ready to record, I was taking a quick look at Twitter and uh, Mikey Whipwreck posted a picture and it shows a guy, you know, like, you know, celebrating that 2020 is over. Right. And he's like jumping in the air mm -hmm. towards the water on the beach and it shows a German shepherd and it's got 2021 written above his head. German shepherd's jumping at him about to bite him on the balls. And, um, <laughs> I was like, you know, and I think his comment was like, I must be tired because I've been laughing about this for five minutes. And I looked at it and I'm like, I, I'd be laughing about that for at least five minutes. Cause, uh, that's yeah. that's what I'm afraid of. I'm hoping I'm like. Uh, I thought you were going to say uh, Randy Orton come out of the water and RKO'd him or something. <laughs> that that would have done it too, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like so afraid that like we're not going to go hey, into we're just three days into it, man. Let's, let's <laughs> relax, relax, man. Oh shit, good point, Bobby. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just yeah. gonna chill the fuck out. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, to a fellow whose name I am going to just slaughter, uh, Purgortoium Hero, who uh, left us a review on iTunes last month, or actually in November, and it says, amazing podcast. I found this podcast from their YouTube videos. Fans of old wrestling or wrestling lists, this is a great listen. Bobby Blaze has a unique take on the business from the inside out. Not someone trying to get himself over. He just tells it like it is. I thought that was a great review, so thank you very much. Guy whose name I slaughtered, so I'm not going to try again. Yeah, um, we'll call him Mr. Hero. Mr. How's Hero, that? that works. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. He says as long as we keep making podcasts, he'll keep listening. Well, we yep. plan on making making a few more here and there, so we'll see. So stick with us, our friend. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for taking the time um, to do that. I've got, uh, I've got two shout-outs. Um, one from Jesus down in Guacamole. Oh, wait a minute, that could be Jesus from Mexico. Never mind. Um, yeah, I've got a shout out to give to one of my newest followers, Thunder Rosa. Holy smokes! Started to follow me. Yeah, I was like putting her over on some. Thought she worked her ass off last year. I saw her, you know, just followed through on social media. She stayed busy, 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 and. Uh, um, I'm, I'm ad admired her career since she started and just kind of watch it grow and develop and watch her character development um, and her intensity and her workouts and her just love of the business she has. And um, I've been following her for quite a while, probably right around NWA when we was watching that. And then uh, she gave me a follow back. So I appreciate that, Thunderosa. Um, 
that's that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. chick is 100% uh, work ethic and hustle right there. Yeah, yeah. I watched a couple of her home workouts. Uh, we was talking off the air there. Uh, she was doing some different different things uh, during the COVID when we was locked down. And she was just doing in-home training, like, you know, Hindu squats and push-ups. She was picking up uh, 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 bottles, of, the bottles of water, the 24s or 32s, like deadlifts, you know, and just doing a whole routine right there in the living room, I guess, on a uh, YouTube channel, I guess, is what I was watching on. But, yeah, that's that's pretty cool, man. It, um, you know, she, her career, I think she's got a lot more in her, man. I really do. I think she's going to go a lot higher than where she's at right now, especially when every, everything out here in the world gets a little bit better, we hope, you know. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I try, I try to follow all my followers back. Um, I miss one here or there, but I certainly notice when someone does follow me. Um, I'm going to jump down um, because I see what's next is COVID. And uh, someone that follows me on there um, also is a, uh, I'm a big follower of his. I'm going to jump down to it. If you want to, um, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell who it is. And I wasn't smartened up to this morning. I'll let you explain what happened, Jeremy. But Mick Foley, what the fuck, right? Yeah. I, I follow Mick Foley, and I get up, and I see your message, and I open it up, and boom, there it was. Uh, so let's just go get the COVID thing out of the way for a couple other people real quick. Um, but I hate to hear that from uh, about Mick Foley. He was doing – go ahead and read it there, Jeremy, if you want. Um, do you have it ready? Or no, not? no, I don't. I was, I was he waiting. He said he was doing a virtual reality uh, uh, signing last month and got it. He's been locked down for like 18 days now. He said, please take this serious, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yourself, like I – we have been taking it pretty serious, I think. Um, you know, wearing yeah. a mask, washing our hands, and um, let's see here. I got it right here in front of me. He just got a message. It just says, um, um, "One day ago, I tested positive for COVID following a December virtual signing, um, and have been isolating in a hotel room for the past 18 days. Please continue to take this virus seriously." Mask up, social distance, look out for one another, wishing you all a happy, healthy New Year. And I thought that was, you know, um, just uh, happened to anyone. And it happened to one of our girlfriends. I'll let you announce oh, that one. This, this is one I, 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 I took. Don Wells, who played Marianne on Gilligan's yeah. Island, passed away due to COVID complications this last yeah. week. Yep. And, um, you know, I mean, for guys our age, I'd say she's probably – her and Ginger and maybe Marsha Brady were probably all on the first crush list. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Had to bring up Marsha. Fuck. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And she tough. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, but we lost Don Wells. And that's, that's yeah. you know, that's and, the and shit. I had her over. Um, I liked her over Ginger anyway. I really did. Um, that My brother said he'd take... Uh, ginger um my cousin take i i'm 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 taking don man you know i'm taking don well marianne you know? yeah yeah that little corn fed them nice tan legs no shorts that you liked oh yeah uh, yeah oh huh. you know it, you know and i i can't help but but think about the first season of gilligan's island her and the professor didn't even get their name in the song yeah they yeah, were no. just and the rest and the rest yeah yeah uh, unbelievable. Yeah, that was one. I was just like, I read that like five times, just like you, that. 
that seems fucked up somehow. I mean, that's just not right. And then, of course, the other thing is um, Larry King was hospitalized with it last night as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Hope he holds up, man. Yeah, because he's, he's an old cat, and I'm pretty sure being married 6,000 times takes something out of you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, I was going to tell you, one day we got more time. There's a, apparently Sherwood Shorts, Schwartz, uh, uh, that was his fuck you to Hollywood was um, was the uh, Gilligan's Island. Each person represented one of the deadly sins. You have to get into it, but it, it's true. It, there's some tr- truth in it. I read a book about it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Now, I saw that as a theory. I'd never seen anything yeah. that said that that was the, the actual case, though. Well, it's in a book that was a theory, and it was basically he'd tell them to fuck themselves. Uh, it was an inside joke for him that he's writing these characters with, uh, you know, the ultimatum of ultimate fuck off, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, let's let we even brought up uh, what we're talking about today, man. Who our topic is? We brought it up the last couple episodes. How we're doing these things. Um, and I know we got a sponsor, so I'm gonna go ahead and give out who's today's topic, who we're talking about today. And you can um, fucking do our um, ad if you want. Okay. This week we're talking about Jim Morrison and the Doors, folks. That's so right. We're talking about J.J. Dillon, man. Um, he's going to be uh, our topic because we're going to be heading over towards the Carolinas and ultimately talking about Ric Flair um, in the next couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, we're going to be doing a special today. is on J.J. Yeah. And have a sponsor this week. And who is our sponsor this well, week? Well, our here? sponsor this week is um, Audible Plus through Amazon. And if you go over to tinyurl.com slash bbaudible, you'll get 30 days free, I believe. Um, and then what it is, is it's kind of like the subscription model. Instead of just buying books, you get access to a number of uh, podcasts and books and newspapers and things like that and just as part of the subscription. Definitely worth checking out. So again, tinyurl.com slash bbaudible. Yes. All right. All right. J.J. was born James Albert Morrison in Trenton, New Jersey on June 26, 1942. I about read something else there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, I read his book. Um, we'll give a plug for his book right here while we're at it. Why not? Um it's uh, Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls, From McMahon to McMahon by James J. Dillon. Come out in 2005 by James Morrison and Scott Till. Um, you can get that book using the tinyurl.com slash blazejjd. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash blazejjd, and you can get that book off of Amazon. And uh, show get a little kickback out of that, man. And that'd be nice to do. Uh, one of the things he wrote at the beginning, I'm just going to do some highlight little stuff here. Then we'll come back and we kind of got this in order. But as I was reading it, some of the interesting stuff, uh, he put, remember, don't be afraid to dream because uh, dreams can come true. And I'm living proof that they do. Um, one thing, I, he used to ride a bike. He used to uh, walk too. He used to catch a train too. He was always going to the shows. He was a big fan of professional wrestling. Um, in 1959, I find this interesting. He met Larry Simon. Um, some of y'all may know who that is and may not know who that is. But anyway, he grew. He was a wrestler who lived in New Jersey. They struck up a conversation, and Simon invited him back to his home. They ate some pizza together. The boys were already in bed. 
He showed my photo when he wrestled as Otto Von Krupp. Three years later, he was known as the Great Malenko. And I thought that was really cool, man, because JJ talked about what a mark he was for the business. And uh, I'll let Professor say a little bit more unless you want me to go on JJ, uh, about JJ. <laughs> um, you want me to go on? Well, you know what? I want to I, I want to point this out because I'm glad you okay. had this book because uh, James J. Dillon is almost an invisible man online outside of a handful of the same stories. Yeah. there It was hard to come up with info. I'm thinking, you know, this guy's been around for damn near 60 years in the business. Well, there's going to be all sorts of stuff to talk about. And you have to dig to come up with anything on this guy. So I'm thinking he must have worked for the CIA or something, and he's paying people off to not talk about him. <laughs> well... Um, he's traveled by train to different towns like Philly. He started making uh, the Trenton show every week, and that's where he started selling wrestling programs once he got his driver's license. In exchange for that, he'd get a free ticket to the show, and he'd make a few dollars, and that was his first official job in a wrestling business. But J.J. didn't consider that his first official job. I'll get that in a second. Um, J.J. said he was a big-time mark for the business. George Bolas, who was a zebra kid from 1948 to 1963, told J.J. to go to college and also learn how to wrestle. J.J. was a swimmer and a baseball player, admitted he wasn't very good at either, but he enjoyed them. But he also had taken up judo lessons, which would later help him. And at college, at Albert College in Reading, Pennsylvania, he was on a wrestling team for two years, man. So that's kind of a... Just kind of give you an idea of some background. Um, one night in Philly, Dominic Danucci and Professor Tanaka uh, would work out with him at the YMCA. Al Costello locked up with them. Uh, they had all helped in some small way. So, on July 11, 1962, at Vineland Speedway in New Jersey, he made his debut as Jim Valance. The JV was in honor of the top guy and his favorite at the time, Johnny Valentine. Um, after that, he carried ring jackets back for the TV in Philly. This is what he considered his first. Oh, he got $50 for that match, by the way. He got $50. But this is what he considered his payoff was um, um, when he got to carry the ring jackets back, uh, the guys at college would see him on TV. Knew, you know, he was going to do something in wrestling. And in 1963, he became a referee announced as Jim Morrison course way way before Jim Morrison and the doors hit so he's a little bit ahead of his time there and um, we'll save that little spot there what he used to do after he showed up refereeing because um, you got that down towards one of the top reasons that we liked him mm -hmm. and um, uh, we'll go down there so I'm going to skip down to where you're at now because um, that's the stuff I wrote out of the book um, that I read that I thought was interesting to lead us into it as the professor said if anyone could find it by God a professor could find it just so happened one summer several years ago I bought that book and that's why I had it um, because uh, there isn't a whole lot on there and plus you always find those WWE things that I like to bitch about when you find it something so so number 10 is just a full background I gave you pretty much a good background on JJ and now we're going to go to number 9 and let the professor take over because it's his specialty yeah so JJ uh, Dillon in my head and everybody else's he's either an office guy or a manager right I mean that's what we think of mm -hmm. But he did start as a wrestler um, and held several titles, it looks like. Central States Wrestling, he was the NWA Central States Tag Team Champion one time with Buzz Tyler. 
Uh, championship wrestling from Florida. He was the NWA Florida heavyweight champion once. He was the Florida tag team champion with Roger Kirby once. Florida television champion once. Uh, over in the ESA, he was uh, Eastern Sports Association, ESA International Heavyweight Champion one time. International Tag Team Championship with uh, Freddie Sweetan one time. North American Heavyweight Champion one time. Uh, NWA Western State Sports, he was the International Heavyweight Champion Amarillo version one time. NWA Western States Television Champion one time. And in Georgia Championship Wrestling, he was the Macon Heavyweight Champion one time. So he actually carried quite a few titles during his time as a wrestler. Yeah, sure did. Um, and in reading that book, of course, he did talk about uh, some of those, like Georgia Championship, and he also talked about going over for the Funks over there in Amarillo. Um, what you know, how much how much he was learning at that time as a wrestler, you know, just um, learning to get over and stuff because he he did you know do some refereeing and eventually started working, and that's what he said how he learned to work was being in the ring as a referee. No one actually taught taught him, but he just kept watching and listening. He knew enough to be out of the camera's way for those TVs as a referee, and he knew, you know, he knew enough how to apply some pressure when he was doing holds and stuff as he learned on because he had judo background and he had a little bit of the college background of wrestling. So um, he wasn't technically trained by anyone, but, like, you know, you get the chance to go out to, to the funks out there in Amarillo, you know you're going to learn something, and they end up putting a, a NWA International Heavyweight Championship title on, you know. Uh, same thing with Georgia. He's down there. They put the, the Macon, the Macon, Macon, Macon Georgia Heavyweight uh, title on him. Little things like that, man, that, that gives you that career, those little things that all add up, you know. So, anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what, I, what, Bobby, let me see if I remember correctly here. You were actually starting to train before anybody smartened you up to what wrestling really was like, right? Pretty much so, yes. Um, I wonder how common that was back in the day. I mean, because I guess you got to make room for people to wash out, right? Oh, man. Yeah, I guess. Um, you know, they. I think it's a matter of people bringing you in like that, too. You know, yeah. maybe they don't smarten you up right away. I remember I went to Lexington. Um, the, the world famous green brothers were there. Donnie and Al green were doing a thing with some young guys. And, and one of the guys was, was helping the guys get into the ring. He said, Hey, this is Mark. And he kept holding the rope open for Mark, you know, cause none of us knew, but I was like, fuck it. He's not called me Mark. Everyone here must be fucking named Mark. And I said, I'm not, my name's Bobby. You know, he kind of laughed and goes, get in the ring, Mark. You know, get in the ring, Mark. And I, I just kept getting in the ring because there's about five or six of us. So I don't know. It's like this here, like JJ, same thing. You know, you, you get to take the ring jackets back, um, you know, uh, need a referee one night, setting up the ring. I set up the ring a lot of times. That's what I was doing. Uh, my brother and I had done it quite a bit, but when I was um, – Want to get into the business? I I went down to some of them shows and uh, you know someone said you know hey come down to Lexington we'll have you know five or six guys we're gonna do a little tryout thing if you want and um, then I drove to the Monster Factory up in New Jersey um, with uh, uh, Charlie Fulton was in the ring and uh, Larry Sharp was on like a PM magazine special and he come in afterwards and they gave me a little tryout you know just just trying little things you know so uh, no one was like going out of their way to smarten me up right away. But but also I was getting a little bit of an end there, you know, like I know a little bit, you know. Yeah. Enough that um enough that I wasn't getting my ass kicked because I wasn't ever been a smart ass trying to fight people, you know, like, hey, I know this is, 
you know, something like that, but also enough to know, you know, be respectful. And, and if someone's willing to teach you something to, 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 to listen, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that I hope it answered your question. I went around the world because we'll go around the world with um, uh, JJ here in just a second, looks like. Yeah. Well, no, it's, that that answers the question or at least, it's, you yeah. know, gets me enough info because I was just curious because, you know, there's always the stories about like Hulk Hogan showing up, I think, in Florida. Hey, he teach me to wrestle. So they broke his fucking leg. Um, you know there's there's these stories like this and i wonder like you know how much because you know there's some awful hazing stories out there there really are they broke pat tanaka's leg too yeah i mean Uh, um broke his leg you know his dad didn't want him to wrestle and he broke his fucking leg pat came back though you know yeah that's uh, the way it is sometimes so for you guys i'm i'm sure that got fucked with pretty heavy but at least you didn't get your leg broken but right. I'd, I'd always wondered back in the day, you know, and you hear the stories about the guys showing up and like the stink pit and they end up leaving fucking covered in blood wearing yeah. nothing but their underwear. Yeah. Um, you know, just how many times like people actually got in for the training and it's like, all right, now that you're getting ready to wrestle your first match, we got to tell you something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think uh, just a good rule of thumb, you know, common sense, they, you know, depends on who's training you, who's helping you, what office you're working for, you know. Uh, what do we do, what do we don't do with this kid, you know. Yeah. Um, so, again, it's one of those things where if you're respectful, I think, and and, um, and have some knowledge and some athletic ability, you know, I, I think you got a you know, really good chance, especially nowadays. Uh, you know, it's not like it was way back when I was, you know, breaking in. That was a long damn time ago, man. So, um, anyway, it looks like mine and JJ's career – um, are kind of alike in a sense, and that is, um, I used to talk to JJ about this. I got my break up in the Maritimes up there, and uh, we tore uh, Moncton, or excuse me, yeah, well, as I stayed in Moncton, but it's in um, New Brunswick, part of Canada, the um, uh, Grand Prix up there, uh, Halifax over in all of Nova Scotia, several good towns there. And once a week, we'd go over uh, PEI, Prince Edward Island. We did a uh, Somerville, I think, was one town, and Charlotteville was another. Um, but we had like a seven-day loop. Sometimes you rested on Sundays. The money wasn't great, but it was a good a good starting pay for you know young rookie uh, guy to get a couple of years of experience in up there. Uh, JJ got, I think, he went up there twice. Um, I lived in Moncton, um, and our first town was called Cocaine, and it's about 20 minutes from Moncton. And I think uh, when I talked to JJ and this other gentleman. Uh, Les Thatcher. I know one of them was there one year and one of them was there for two years, uh, obviously before I was there. But anyway, they had worked that territory. And so when I spoke to JJ, the businessman, you know, trying to come into WCW, and when I first met Les Thatcher, when I first came into Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I had that connection with them. Mm-hmm. They, all, they knew I had worked up there. And the connection was the Cormier brothers, uh, Leo Burke being one of them. Uh, the animal, um, the beast, rather, uh, the beast, uh, he worked in the uh, winters uh, when they shut down. They only do seasons up there because you're wrestling inside at ice arenas. And, of course, they play ice hockey on ice arenas, and that's a big sport up in Canada. So uh, they only ran from about the end of May, beginning of June, to about the middle of uh, maybe maybe the first week of October. Sometimes they'd go over a little bit by a week or so, but usually by September, the boys were moving out of there. But the Beast, he uh, 
he would go out there and work work, work in Mar uh, Amarillo or down in Florida for that territory. So he worked full time, but he only did, you know, about, you know, four or five months in his home area. He had a brother named Bobby Kay and Rudy Kay. Um, I'm sorry not to know which one, but Bobby Kay, I think it was, um, uh, passed away last year. Um, on our, I we'd have them on our list, but I found out just a couple of days ago one of the Cave brothers had passed away. Uh, but again, you got Leo Burke, man. He was a tremendous worker. Um, he was up there, and I was up there for Ron Starr. Um, so I was up there for Ron Starr and Goldie Rogers and uh, uh, Eddie Watts, and just a really, really good crew. Uh, and speaking of Ron Starr, I give a shout out to Rock Rims. I got my uh, Bad to the Bone, the Ron Starr uh, story. I got that uh, book in just the other day, Jeremy. But uh, what I was getting at here is when I spoke to JJ and I spoke to Les, it gave me a common ground. I think they stayed out of Shadiac and I stayed over in Moncton. Uh, and we all had pretty much the same kind of towns, you know, how they had that same schedule. Uh, you know, you knew where you was at on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday was a spot show. You knew Thursday you, you'd go on a ferry to go to the island. And on Friday, you had to take off for Nova Scotia. And then um, you stayed over there until late Sunday evening. We would finish up in North Sydney, um, Nova Scotia, which was uh, way out at the tip of, of uh, uh, Nova Scotia, where you caught the actual caught their boat over to Newfoundland. That's how far out north it was. It was way out there, man. And, uh, but it was a good territory and a good place to learn. Um, and I, I enjoyed my time there. I could do two tours. Uh, both of them lasted about 16, 18 weeks, I guess. And like I said, it wasn't getting rich, but um, I saved a little bit of money and had a place to live and um, met, a, met a couple nice girls, you know, and met some real nice guys that were, you know, again, uh, Robert, the, the big Arcadian giant, he was up there. It was his rookie year. Um, Todd McPhee, we had a little Indian guy named um, Soaring Eagle, and they were like Rico and myself. They were there willing to learn and bust their ass, and, and them older guys and vets, they really put together a good territory a good territory for us, you know. So, um, and after a couple years after I left, Emil uh, Dupree used to run it. It was called Grand Prix, but those two summers, Emil uh, didn't run it, but he opened it back up, and of course, um, uh, his son, Rene Dupree, come out there and made it all the way to uh, to the WWE, you know, so, um, just some good, just some good stories, some road stories there, you know, Oh yeah, uh, a connection with them. And, and also he went to Florida to be trained. Um, that was my sole mission of going to Florida when I, when I took off there, um, I'd been in correspondence with, um, uh, uh Phyllis Lee. He used to do, uh, the, uh, help with the Malenko uh, Wrestling Academy there. And um, that's where I had the great pleasure of meeting Professor Boris Malenko, uh, just like uh, uh, done. Of course, I didn't get to eat a piece of Mr. Malenko. Uh, <laughs> he was always on my ass about eating healthy. <laughs> uh, but along came Dean, and eventually along came Jody uh, and Carl Gotch, because they had been doing some other stuff at the time. Dean had been spending a lot of time in Japan but after I was there about four or five months, uh, Dean come back and he started helping me and my uh, another guy. And, um, you know, I, I stayed there at the camp and eventually moved into another apartment. But, hell, you know, X-Pac was there and uh, learning. Um, had a big guy that had been to Japan a whole lot, uh, Jumbo Beretta, big Cuban guy. Um, we had a real good crew of guys that were, um, you know, uh, my brother went over there some and worked out sometimes. Uh, Brady Boone would stop in. Um, um, shoot, um, drawing a couple blanks. Uh, 
Killer B, what's his name? He owned a couple of gyms. He'd stop in for you going to Japan. Um, it was Brian Blair. Uh, yeah, and, Brian Blair. Uh, okay. Brian Blair stopped by several times when he'd go to Japan. He'd need someone to tighten up with, you know, and I'd get to work out these guys. Um, yeah, he owned a couple of gyms right not too far from where the, where the actual wrestling ring was set up at. And um, this was after he'd done the Killer Bees run. He was still doing some stuff over Japan. So you got to meet and, 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 and train a lot of these guys. So when you got to WCW, um, you know, I already knew some people in the back, whether it be from that had worked in, you know, uh, Smoky Mountain on their way up or down, you know, depending. Mm-hmm. And also just, just being around Florida with all the people I trained with, of course, got to know, you know, so-and-so here, so-and-so, you know. Sean and I, uh, X-Pac, we, hell, we set up the ring for uh, the NWA down there for a Klondike Bill one Sunday at Sarasota. And it was one of them times Cornette was having a match with um, the, the tuxedo matches or whatever him and Paulie Dangerously were doing, you know. And uh, Samoa SWAT team had a cage match with Midnight or something. And, hell, we, we got, you know, $5 each to sit up the ring. We as happy as can be, you know, just being around the wrestling business, but also making connections. You know, they see your face, you know. Um, like I knew Bob Eaton a long time before I actually got into business because every time – that he was on a show anywhere near me, for example, up here in Huntington, West Virginia, or Charleston, or that show down there in Sarasota, I always made sure I spoke to Bobby, because Bobby's one of the nicest guys ever, you know, and um, they see you hanging out enough, you know, like, okay, this guy really does want to get into the business, yeah. not being a mark. Uh, as J.J. said, he was a mark for the business, and I think we all are at some point, you know. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, yeah, my career and his does kind of go along that way although i never made it to an office job <laughs> but as a lifelong fan that's going to take us to number seven so finish it up here uh on number seven professor yeah so apparently in the uh mid-1950s about the time he was 14 years old is when uh pretty much like a lifelong love for pro wrestling had started with jj uh some of his early favorites would be uh, nature boy buddy rogers Bobby Davis, who was Nature Boy's manager, Al Costello, who was um, part of the comedy duo uh, Abbott and Costello, Roy Heffernan. Oh, wait, no, I was wrong, Al Costello, huh? Fabulous um, <laughs> <I just> Kangaroos, <laughs> Wild Red Berry. There's another story about Red Berry that is just tickling my brain that I can't think of what it is right now. I'll uh, have to hear it sometime. Yeah, I, I got, I'm going to have to dig around and try to remember what it was because it, it was a hell of a funny story, but I'm just not remembering it right at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he was a big fan of Johnny Valentine uh, to the point where he actually formed – which was a much more common thing back then. He created a fan club for Johnny Valentine. Yeah, which, yeah, I forgot that. Which lasted about a year. Um, that was kind of like a big thing fans could do back, I don't know, probably tapered off in the 70s, I'm guessing. Um, but a lot of these guys who you hear about who started, they started with like fanzines and fan clubs and all this stuff back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, this, and kind of like you're talking about, just kind of hanging around and being around eventually you just kind of get accepted in, you know? Yeah. And uh, it sounds like that's where JJ kind of took off and headed in that direction from, um, you know, and as far as like heroes in the business, Buddy Rogers isn't a bad one to go with. Right. Yeah. Um, You talk about fan clubs too. I know a lot of people have mentioned they started a fan club. If you listen to other podcasts and if you listen to ours, of course, we mentioned some other people that started them. Um, I'm going to say up until probably late, late 80s even maybe, only because it could have been uh, definitely in the 70s. It, 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 
I'm sure it was dropping off. So I don't know how far up into the 80s they were dropping off. But uh, what I was going to get at is they had the pen pals in the uh, magazines. And you'd have Bill Smith, you know, uh, looking for female uh, pen pals from, you know, Kentucky or wherever. And he's looking for worldwide. And his favorite wrestler is, um, you know, Buddy Rogers, whatever. But also president of the, you know, Buddy Rogers fan club. Some Someone else would have fan clubs, too. And they, they'd collaborate, you know, through those correspondence. Yeah of the pen pal things, you know, I remember seeing, you know, uh, a person's name, some of those people in there, I will say this, if you looked at some of their pictures, um, they were a little bit too old to be wrestling fans to be looking for girls. And I think several of them must have ended up in the fucking penitentiary or something. You know, uh, I'm <laughs> thinking a couple <laughs> of these guys. Yeah. A couple of these guys probably had pits in their basements. Um, yeah. <laughs> What we was talking about before the show, <laughs> it rubs the lotion on, it rubs the lotion in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, kinda, kinda yeah. What we talking about starting, we, okay, I'm going to let y'all in. Professor and I are starting a, 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 an OnlyFans page, so uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were thinking about it. I don't think it'll make very much money, but um, um, anyway, that's not happening. It's just an offside joke it's making. <laughs> but yeah, that's some great... Um, Great stuff about um, J.J. there once again. Now, here's where the professor is going to really have to take over on number six because uh, I'm sitting there. My mind's um, over at the pit looking down in there, like, uh, and I'm one of these uh, uh, voyeurs. People think I'm a swinger. I'm also a voyeur, Jeremy. I like to watch. I'm so, Rick, can I watch? <laughs> fill, fill us in on number six here. Professor. Oh, God. You know, I, I have so much <laughs> trouble with – well, I have so much trouble with all the details because I just get hung up on Ron Garvin and drag, and that's where my brain like hits full stop, you know. Okay. Um, but what was it? Was it was a baby doll? Who who was the girl? I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> well, didn't Barbarian say, "Hey, who's the new chick?" <laughs> Ron Garvin, like Jim Cornette said on there, I think it was Barbarian or someone said, "Who's the new girl?" <laughs> But yeah, anyhow, so you know, through through means that would be considered rape today, <laughs> Ric Flair gets gets an opportunity with the valet of Ron Garvin, and uh, fucking James J. Dillon gets gets all creepy about. It. He's like, "Can I hide in the closet and watch?" <laughs> was yeah. it Baby Doll? Is that who it was? I think it was Baby Doll, but right now okay. I'm I'm just I'm just kind of like drawing a blank is you know when i was writing this stuff down oh yeah i'll remember all this shit now all of a sudden i've been in a few of those closets i'll tell you <laughs> and, and I, I've, I've i've been on the other end where people are watching too see you know for me like having somebody hanging out like watching from a closet you know just because i know they're going to be doing things that i don't want to think about it it wrecked the moment being watched for me you know <laughs> hell i've watched the other bed <laughs> do what you gotta do i'm just gonna roll over here and face the wall man you know <laughs> what, what you oh say, you shit know? yeah so back in the 80s there used to be a lot of ugly women hanging around the nwa a lot of them look like dudes and lipstick and with bad wigs <laughs> and uh, one of them showed up for their night with Ric Flair and then just started dropping fuckers with hands of uh, stone, you know? That was, yeah, was that? Miss Atlanta Lively, wasn't it? I believe but, so. But that was the gimmick, Miss Atlanta Lively, I think. Yeah, I think that was uh, it. Bonnie Garvin and Drag. 
Man, hey. do you imagine him being police undercover at a fucking park where some rapes are taking place or some uh, handbag snatching took place, you know, and you grab a hold of fucking Ronnie Garvin's Jesus purse or Christ. handbag and he turns around with one of those hands of stone. Wow. <laughs> no call 911. He just had right by one bench be like nine dudes stacked up there and then a couple blocks down there be like eight dudes stacked up near another bench. And he'd still be having his purse if, if he was in drag doing work and undercover work, I would imagine. I would, I would uh, think so. I would think so, yeah. Hey, you know, do you remember early Saturday Night Live, Dan Aykroyd had a character who was a male prostitute? Oh, man. Um, was, it Ron, my- was it Ron Garvin? Was that the name? Oh, no. I don't. You're, you're, you're close. You're close. I can't think of who the fuck it, what, what it was. Yeah, it was, and he was all, like, square, and he'd wear, like, an ugly plaid suit. Ron Garvin, male prostitute. Oh, I yeah. I don't think it was Ron Garvin, but goddamn, that sounds right right at the moment. Yeah, that 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 gimmick. Um, I'd have to look it up, but I I I remember right now. As you said that male prostitute. He would show up and he'd stand there, and thrust out a little bit. Yeah. Uh shit. What look that up, man? Um, who it was Dan Aykroyd done the gimmick though? Fred Garvin. That was it. Fred, Fred Garvin. Garvin. Man, you wasn't off by far, man. No. God, and I probably haven't seen that bit in 40 fucking years, you know? Yeah, we, we pulled that one up, man. Wow. Um, yeah, so, but but in short, you know, J.J. wanted to be a little you know, closet creep, and because yeah. of that, uh, he got his ass beat. <laughs> <laughs> they used to do some really weird angles, like some stuff, you know, there, there's some shit in there that just makes me cringe when you go back and you think about, like, like, oh, yeah, if I beat you in this match, your valet belongs to me. That's some shit that had been illegal since the 1860s. You know, yeah. well, you know what it reminds me of, too, is the Seinfeld episode when they're trying to sell NBC's interested in their, their show again, <laughs> the show about nothing. Yeah. But then they get the Japanese, um, uh, three people from the Japanese um NBC there to knock a knock a Torah uh, broadcasting company or something, and they're explaining that um, uh, because of a car accident and Jerry didn't have any car insurance, uh, he has to become his uh, back, his uh, butler. Uh, Butler, yeah. yeah. They're like, is this a common custom? <laughs> you know? So it's like that on wrestling, man. So uh, if I beat you in this match, it's common custom. You know, your valet is now my housekeeper for the next fucking month. You know, I don't uh, – some of that stuff, like you said, is just really crazy. But um, where will we come up with that stuff? I don't know. Of course, that was a knockoff of a show. But we're talking about, you know, wrestling. Um, in fact, people had to do do different things, man. Different angles that, that got over. Some some flew and some didn't. You know. Um, yeah, that's there's yeah. there's just some yeah some weird things. And I'm sure you know some of them you could find a way to use now, but other ones you're just like that's just flat out exploitation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the yeah. Vice Squad's not kicking your door in. You know. <laughs> um, All right. Well, let's move in. Move on with uh, number five. The client list that uh, J.J. Dillon had, man, because it's quite impressive, as we know. Um, go ahead and start a couple that he managed, and um, if you want to do them all, that's fine, or I'll do I'll do the first half, you do the second half, however you want to do it. Um, yeah, I'll just throw out a couple names here. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher, the Mongolian Stomper, Brute Bernard, Buddy Landell. You want to handle yes. a couple? 
I was just going to say, I, I, I'd seen some, you know, the old video of him out there managing the nature boy, Buddy Landell. That's a, that was a big thing for Buddy at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moondog Maine, Ox uh, Baker, Waldo Von Erich, David Von Erich, Thunderfoot, and Butch Reed. So I'm going to let you take over some tag team from there because I, I think that covers all those singles really quite well. Well, um, okay, so the, the long the long riders, Cowboy Ron Bass and Black yeah, Bart. I was hoping you'd do it that way, Bob. Yeah, and probably most famously, most importantly, most notably, the Four Horsemen. Yes, the Four Horsemen. Uh, and he gives the fans credit for creating that, even though he, you know he puts Arn over. But also, he managed Tully first, mm-hmm. correct? Uh, before the formation of the four horsemen. Yeah, so Baby Doll had been Tully's manager, and then through mm-hmm. some some shenanigans, uh, JJ comes in and he takes over. And there was the week. Well, and I think we're going to talk Tully's about this. Enterprises or something. Yeah, and there was a week where they were shooting the show for Saturday night, and they had to put a promo mm-hmm. for the following week. They were running short on time, so they were like, "All right." And okay, so now I'm, I'm, my memory's going to gap a little bit here. Tolly was either national champion or TV champion, and it doesn't really matter which, but he was one of those. So they kind of went to everybody and said, "Okay, Tolly, you're you're champion. You go out there. Ric Flair, you're world champion. You go out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andersons, you're tag team champions. You guys go out there. Yeah. And just we can't talk about specifics. Just get out there and promote these cities for next week." <clears throat> So all of them took their turn on the mic, and then Arn, yes, Arn had a style, man. Arn, Arn, you just hand him a fucking microphone, and everybody just sit down and shut the fuck up for a minute, because he'd just start rapping, and some shit would come out of his mouth. He was like he had yeah. People listened. <laughs> yeah, and he'd just start rapping, and then so he throws out the term four horsemen with the fingers. Yeah. And we're actually going to come into this a little bit later, but um. Since we're a couple steps away, I'll, I'll kind of stop there. But that was where it first started, and that is where probably most of us know JJ for. I mean, except you, because you actually dealt with him personally. But that's probably a big part of JJ's legacy in the business is being yeah. connected to the Four Horsemen, and of course that was accidental, and just because he was Tolly Blanchard's manager. Mm-hmm. Which is going to bring us to number four that um, on top of everything that J.J. did, he wrestled, he managed, but he was also an office guy. Yep. And that actually transitioned quite nicely because, Bobby, you dealt with J.J. some. Yes, I did. And he was always very professional to me and very courteous to me. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I had been working um, well over a month uh, before I got to see J.J. And I didn't run into I had already been to uh, North Carolina, Charlotte. And worked, and then I had went to um, uh, Orlando, and I worked uh, a loop down there for like ten or twelve days at Universal, and then also uh, Fort Myers and and Tampa and um, some of those you know regular cities in, in in Florida while I was there, and then I flew out to San Bernardino. I got a phone call. I wasn't I was home actually. I wasn't even booked. I got a phone call, and it's from JJ Dillon, and he said, Bobby, um, you know JJ Dillon, you know, and yes sir. And um, he said, we need you in San Bernardino for this upcoming TV. I was like, oh, yes, sir, you know, no worries. And he told me, you know, what the procedure was to get an e-ticket and all that. But apparently uh, 
I'm not sure who, but you know, I've dealt with Terry Taylor quite a bit. Uh, but anyway, for whatever reason, I had just been, like I said, about a month or so. It could have been an overlook. It could have been anything. But um, uh, they basically just called me one night and put me on a flight the very next day to San Bernardino, California, you know, from um, – and I wrestled Hubertu Guerrero and was told, give him a very strong match and just take the pin, basically. Um, anyway, uh, when I got to the building, instead of finding Terry, I went and found JJ because that's who called me. And um, he, we talked for a little while, and that's where I told him I had worked up in um, the Maritimes and, you know, knew a couple of names he knew. And, uh, you know, we just, we just hit it off, not like best pals, not like that. Uh, about a 10-minute conversation, him just filling me out a little bit, bit background information, et cetera. And then um, he said, I, st I still think you need to go see Terry, uh, by the way. And I said, no problem. And uh, nice to talk to you. And that was that. And then I went and spoke to Terry, and Terry said, okay, this, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is this was after kicking out of Alex Wright's finish earlier in the month or whatever. <laughs> he was like, uh, I don't care if you kick the shit out of Hoobie Toot. He's not very big. And he said, but uh, don't kick out his finish. <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay. He goes, just go out there and have a good match with him. He's high-flyered. He's actually pretty easy to get along with. And I was like, okay, okay Terry, whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah. And I'm going to have any trouble with me. <laughs> Not tonight anyway. But um, anyway, the through the next couple of years, uh, you know, I dealt with JJ and, and um, on and off, depending on what they needed and and. Depending on when they called me, um, who would call me, it would usually be J Terry Taylor called me for the first time. But after that, usually it was J.J. or Paul Orndorff because they would be in the office and, and, and be agents like more there in the office, not so much out on the road agent like, you know, an Arn or, or, or Terry or Kevin would be. So usually if I got to speak from someone from the office, it'd be um, – uh, I spoke to Paul several times, but also um, – JJ Moore not and he say hey, Bobby they got you know he'd just tell me something um, and I, I'm sure it was just uh, again mix up you got 150 guys at one point on that contract uh, but they had, he'd said something like um, you know I need you to go to um, it was up in um, uh, not Albany uh, New York um, shit can't think of the town now Saratoga had to go to Saratoga and um, one of the overnight deals like hey just uh, can you go to the airport tomorrow get an e-ticket we need you up here you know Blah blah blah, no big deal. Just you know, you you have to work X amount of days. But I was already say I'd already worked five or six days, and then came home was scheduled to be off, you know, for the next two weeks maybe until the next two two TV, two TVs came up, you know. But he was always like you know lead way there, you know. Um, we got stuck one time in Lacrosse. We was going to wrestle across Wisconsin, and a couple people, um, I'll just say, a couple people failed drug test and got sent home, and. Uh, so I was just supposed to fly up there and do a TV, and it was me and Scott and Steve, uh, Nick Patrick, and Brad Armstrong. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, it was Scott and Brad. I'm sorry. Me, Scott, and Brad, Nick Patrick, and then there's a couple other guys. They pulled us to the side and said, hey, man, we got some – we got we got two more nights of shows, and it was J.J. He goes, we got two more nights of shows, and um, – we need you guys to stay, you know, we'll change your tickets. We'll take care of you. And, um, uh, gave everyone a $200 advance right there on the spot, you know, uh, call home, make arrangements, whatever. So basically, you know, an extra couple hundred dollars to get an extra couple matches in up there. Of course, they'll draw it off your, your show money at the end of, at the end of the month. But, you know, if you only took a, 
couple hundred bucks in the credit card to travel or whatever, you know, that was the thing. He didn't, he didn't leave us out there, our asses in the wind. You know, we'd done um, Minnesota, we'd done La Crosse, Wisconsin, and I think St. Um, like I say, each night they gave us a couple hundred dollars extra uh, for expenditures and stuff like that. And then at the end of the deal, you know, got flown home, and J.J. was very thankful for that. And then, of course, the final phone call came. I think it was on a Tuesday night. And I was sitting on my front porch and um, got a phone call, went in and answered it, and it was J.J. And he said, Bobby, it's one of the hardest things I need to do as part of my job. And he said, uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. You're going to be getting a, um, a slip from FedEx in the next day or two. And, um, you know, regrettably, we got to let you go. Um, as you know, we've been making cutbacks and been changes. And I was like, you know, oh, yes, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, wanting to say fuck you, but I didn't, of course. I said, um, I think you um, owe me some um, – I said, I got some airline tickets here to New Orleans. And I said, uh, I, I will not be at that show. And he said, well, I really wish you would go to that show. And I said, well, I don't think I'm going to because I'm no longer an employee. I said, you've terminated my employment. And I said, so I'm, I'm just going to send the airline tickets back. Uh, but also you owe me, um, and they did, they owed me a couple airline tickets. The uh, reimbursements that I'd paid for in the Rover where things weren't as smooth as uh, say lacrosse where they handed you the two hundred dollars. Like up in Syracuse, I think uh, uh, you know I had to change a ticket. It cost me over four hundred dollars to change it from like Cincinnati to to Ohio, to West Virginia. Blah blah blah. But anyway, so JJ and I sit there on the phone. We talked it out. And he said, "Well, you know, um, just here's what I like you to do." And, and it was just two gentlemen discussing business. Really, I wasn't being a hard ass one. No, I'm not showing up to or nothing like that. I was just like, uh, you know, we, we just talked, and I said, um, he said, well, I'll make sure, and he was writing notes, it seemed like, and I was writing notes, I know I was, and I said, I need to get reimbursed for this amount, and he, you know, everything worked out that um, um, I got paid for the reimbursement for the airline tickets, I mailed back the tickets uh, that they had sent me to, to New Orleans, um, and then, um, um, you know, they, they sent an agreement that I'd be getting my my royalties from the uh, Nitro, the EA Sports video game, of course, mm -hmm. and also any uh, – and the thing I, thing I got got really – made me feel really good about J.J. When, when all this is said and done. So I signed my contract on like September 9th or something like that uh, a couple years prior. Well, I went to – I was telling you the story. I went out there – when we was talking about Jimmy Hart, I went out to Roanoke, Virginia – and uh, I didn't have a medical clearance, but uh, they asked me to stick around anyway. So right around that time, being three years later, I guess it was, uh, my contract had rolled over. So I didn't have to – you got a 90-day rollover clause. And when J.J. sent me the paperwork, he was kind enough that it missed by a couple of days, like at the September 9th, to where paperwork wasn't signed to, like, say, September 15th. So – I got an automatic 90-day no-complete calls, and um, that's a blessing because I got checks through the months of, uh, of all of October, all of November, and all of December. So basically, I got paid. Hell, I took off to Japan in November of that year. But uh, anyway, it was just like I said because I wasn't being an asshole on the phone, you know, and I knew I was getting let go. Everyone was getting let go. But we just had a few little minor discussions like what the, what do they think they owe me? What do I think I owe them, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And um, the way he signed it was um, 
uh, and way it was turned in, it had that date on there. Therefore, uh, instead of going without, you know, three months of checks, uh, and that would have been like my last check when I mailed them airline tickets in and then reimbursement for the airline tickets that I had coming, uh, you know, I'd been flat on my ass, but instead, you know, I had that 90 day complete at peak calls and that was a big deal to have, you know, and I know it was because JJ took care of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's because I wasn't an asshole, I think. And also I know it had to be a tough position because how many people, if I recall right, it was about six or seven o'clock in the evening on a Tuesday evening. And, and, um, um, how many people did he ever recall that day or had been calling for the past couple of weeks, you know, to say Scott or John or Jeremy, I, this is one of the hardest things I have to do with my job. But as you know, you know, and then how many of those people may have been assholes to him or how many people might have been, you know, we're just talking business here. This is, oh, this yeah. is what well, I look, think. A you messenger know. gets shot as often as not. Yeah. You know, so, but no, really good interactions, <laughs> uh, nothing negative to say. Um, and if I did, I wouldn't, you know, broadcast it to the world uh, anyway, but I don't. That's the thing. And the last time I saw JJ, um, I barely missed meeting for the first time our good friend and now deceased, though, uh, Tex Johnson. We went up there to that Bobby Fulton's uh, memorial show uh, they had up in Chilcot, Ohio, several years back. Um, a memorabilia show. I said memorial. Memorabilia show. And J.J. was there. And I went up and spoke to him. Just like Jim, and like I said, no hard feelings, nothing like that. Was glad to see him. And um, anyway, um, did my thing, saw everyone, and I left – I left to come back home. I was having some eye problems at the time and didn't want to drive at night. But anyway, about a week or so later, uh, when we start talking to Tex, uh, him and his wife were at that fucking show, man. They'd gotten there right <laughs> after I left. And uh, he had a picture of him and JJ, and he, and, uh, he sent me the picture. And I, sure enough, he was at that same show, and he said, we could have met then. We ended up, of course, meeting over in West Virginia uh, uh, several months later, but still, that's weird how, how you know, we're wrestling fans. We're showing up, you know, mm-hmm. and we're we're there to sign autographs or take pictures or, or get autographs and, and stuff. And, uh, but anyway, that's the last time I saw JJ. I guess that's been about three years ago now up there at um, Chill Coffee on one of Bobby's uh, super shows. Uh, think it was, I think it was um, uh, – he had a fan day and, and then a big show that night. Um like I said, I left before the nighttime, went hard. The show was really good. Out. And that's a good building to work in, too. And he's actually got some more of those scheduled, but due to this COVID, we didn't get to do one this year. Yeah. Um, he moved it from October to April, and then that got shut down. So I don't know when when he'll be doing another one if we get back up that way. Um, but I can't wait to get out there when this stuff goes away. And because um, uh, I'm not going to go out there until it's. I feel it's very, very safe as far as one of these fan fests and stuff. Oh, sure. Um, I just, I just, you know, don't want to do that right now. But back to JJ. Um, yeah, pretty good interaction with him. I just shared that story with you. Um, I'm going to let you take over here on number three um, about uh, Vincent Bruno. Um, tell him about that little interaction there. And, and uh, I thought this was really, really interesting. This is how you stay in someone's good graces also, man. Um, so I, I'm really thankful that I got to meet J.J. Um, I want to say I actually worked for him, but I worked for through through him. I worked for the company and message, like you said, the messages a lot of time came from J.J. And luckily, there's all really positive interactions, and, and he understood where I was coming from, uh, being one of the boys, you know, and I understood where he came from 
from being upper management. Yeah. So uh, number three, this one we're going to talk about Vince Senior and Bruno San Martino a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, uh, JJ would chase the shows. Obviously, he'd still try to make every show he could reach. And Vince Senior would have a ref slip him twenty bucks when he wasn't used, and a hundred when he was. Yep. Um, and then one night, I guess he he had a match with Bruno, and uh, uh, he managed the main event of Bruno's match. Okay. Um, Bruno, I can't remember who he wrestled. It was Bruno's main event match with. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on who the match was against. Okay, but, but he, he he did he did main event that night. Yeah, so he was paid the the standard hundred, and he didn't feel it was right. So a couple of weeks later, he went and talked to Bruno. Bruno went and talked to Vince. And uh, he got spiffed another 200 by the promoter of the show. Um, you know, Bruno asked him, hey, is that is that going to be good or is that going to take care of it? He said, yeah, that's fine. And this actually led to him having a better long-term relationship with Vince Sr., Bruno, and the local promoters as well. Sure did. And I read that. I thought that was pretty amazing. I'm sorry I can't remember who the main event was, but apparently it was a big, big house there. And um, they were actually over in um, uh, Reading, uh, Pennsylvania, where he was going to college at, uh, after that, after he worked that main event. So when Bruno come to Reading, that's when he brought it to his attention. He, is, he just asked him, you know, um, just professional. Like I said, two gentlemen talking. I imagine he said, Bruno, do you have a moment? And he said, you know, I feel like the other day, I, the big house like that, you know, um, I should have got a little bit more of my end work in the main event. And then that's when, um, you know, a couple weeks later, another another promoter put him an envelope, hand him $200, and, you know, Bruno asked him later on in the locker room or wherever, um, hey, you all right that? Yes. And that's that was one of those things he had a lot of respect for uh, Bruno and also because he went to bat for the boys and uh-huh. he didn't, um, didn't have to because, as he said, he was just refereeing at the time. But he knew his job and felt he was doing it very good. And also, it made a, a more of a business relationship uh, for him and Vince Senior. That you know, it's just not one of the guys that's coming over and getting twenty dollars. That that you're kind of you know, hey, that kid's here again, or oh, we're going to use him like give him a hundred dollars. Or like, oh, this guy's really understanding our business. You know, he 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 may want them made event matches now. You know, and take that responsibility. So that's that's a big. Big step in uh, uh, developing a professional relationship in a wrestling business. You know, a lot of that's just based off respect and handshakes. And I think if anyone listens to this program knows, you know, I think Vince uh, Sr., they say that uh, he carried a, a notebook in his front pocket with a pencil and a handshake. And um, with that handshake, it was as good as good as anything. That was his word, man. And uh, if he pulled out. He thought she owed you $200. He told you he's paying you $200. That's what you got, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, heard a lot of good things about their, their older guys, um, you know, that, and on other podcasts and stuff have said how much they enjoyed working with him because they knew they were going to get what they was owed and it was going to be very respectful. So um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you got to like any time that, you know, you're told, hey, this is going to happen, and it happens regardless. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um. Bobby, I got I got to tell you real quick. I just got a text from my mom saying she sent me a pizza, and okay. it's gonna be here at any time so my doorbell could ring. So uh, okay, th- man. Thanks, mom. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, she's feeling bad for not having cooked Christmas dinner last week, so she's sending me a pizza, which you know I'll take. You know, it's hard yeah. hard to be upset about a free pizza. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So, folks, if you hear a doorbell ring, 
we'll have a virtual pizza with the professor. That's it. Well, <laughs> and we only got a couple more to go here. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, dumb number two here. All right. Credits to fans for the creation of the Four Horsemen, but you go ahead and tell the story there because you bring it up earlier. Yeah, so, you know, Arn came up with the, you know, accidentally came up with the hand signal and the name. And uh, JJ says by that night they were seeing fans use the term and throwing up the four, <laughs> the four fingers. And so a couple of weeks yeah. go by and Jimmy Crockett pulls him aside and he's like, hey, what's what's this four horsemen, you know, ring him a rig about? <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, I think we better pay attention to the fans. Um, but what, what's interesting here is the four horsemen might have been the first like semi faction in pro wrestling that they weren't a tag team they weren't like a, a six-man tag team or anything they were a tag team and two individuals and they didn't go to the ring together all that often they're, they're, that wasn't really a thing but they were the guys with the most gold and the baddest yeah. you know the baddest reputations and they took off as this yeah. thing and and jj definitely says it was the fans that did it that could have just been a one-time sentence yeah but because the fans took to it, it's well. We, and we also done a special episode, if you remember. I wasn't trying to talk over you. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. uh, we did the um, greatest stables and greatest uh, factions in professional wrestling, and um, we had up there, of course, you know, the stud stables, and, and and we had the four horsemen and this and that. But also, that's when we just, uh, discovered the freebird rule yep. <laughs> uh, on that episode. We we overlapped the the overlapped them with the Freebird rule because we've done a legitimate top ten and number one was the uh, the full horseman of course and um, that was a fun episode to do uh, overlapping them with the um, uh, uh, fabulous Freebird and creating that Freebird rule for a show which we will not be having on this program today by the way there's no Freebird rule we just got one more uh, uh, thing to talk about right here and that is JJ uh, was Dusty's right hand man at uh, JCP. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Professor, before your doorbell rings there. Yes, this and this is one I was having a little more a little more trouble trying to track down. I actually had to go and try to see if I could pull notes from his old podcast. But apparently, JJ was you remember like that character that Matthew McConaughey played in True Detective, where they called him the Tax Man because of that big ass notebook. Apparently, yep. JJ was a meticulous note taker. He wrote down everything. He was super organized, super on top of stuff. And I would assume that Dusty seeing this, you know, you can always use somebody who's a little more organized to help out with shit, even if you're super organized. Mm -hmm. Probably catch on to mm -hmm. that. And you're like, okay, this guy's watching everything. He takes note of everything. But also, I have to figure that if you're Dusty and your right-hand man is the manager of the villain faction you're always fighting with, that's got to be a good position to be in because you can really control kind of the flow of the story and things because you're both on the same page. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yep. I, but, yeah, I've heard him say several times that he was like Dusty's right-hand guy. I just have trouble finding anything to really reference with it outside of those couple points. Yeah. Well, I think, I think with his future jobs, it, it probably, you know uh, – Staying with uh, WCW, didn't want to work for Vince and WWF. Coming back to WCW, you know, um, going back to Vince again, you know, staying employed mainly, you know, mm -hmm. um, shows how meticulous he was and and how much influence he had. And and I, I know uh, from reading his book there, when he when he jumped one time, it was like, um, you know, they're offering me this much uh, to come back to Atlanta, basically. And Vince said, you know, hey. 
here's here's what I'm offering you. If this is good enough, you're welcome. And JJ took it, you know. And um, uh, one thing he did say, he said it was hard living in Connecticut, um, and you hear that a lot. If you're not from Connecticut, you're from the South, you know. But uh, but I guess it was just the, the cost of living up there, you know, to travel, oh, the yeah. cost of living uh, compared to what you're making. You got to be one of the top top guys to be making, you know, good enough money. Uh, but um, and at the time, I think JJ was getting real estate and um, uh, had some deals down in Atlanta. So when he was when he was done there, he was pretty much done, you know. At, that point uh with with the wrestling business as far as uh working for uh, uh the wwe at, you know and, and being involved in wrestling other and i think now he does some fan uh fan uh, uh fan cage whatever the fuck i can call it yeah and autograph signings and um like i said i think he had a podcast at one time i've heard him as a guest on several podcasts um i know he's on that um uh, back to the territories with Jim Cornette. He's on that, telling stories, uh, you know, about the Carolinas and stuff. And with that, that's going to be my segue to that's where we're going next week, right? Uh, yes. The Carolinas. We're going to go in the Carolinas. Uh, JCP and probably most around Charlotte. And we're going to try to hit as much as that we can. Uh, try to take a deep dive like we did on Texas and Memphis. And we're going to try to do one on um, the um, JCP territory or Mid Atlantic area, if you will. Um, Anyway, that's going to be a, a, a week of some homework for us, Professor. Yeah, that's, that's, going, to be, stuff, that's going to take some digging. I think there'll be some <laughs> stuff out there for it, though. Um, yeah. I think you had sent me some stuff before. We worked on another project, and um, I probably don't have it now, but I know you, you had some stuff that uh, about the uh, JCP um, at one point you found for us. So I'm sure there's some out there. Um, anything else we got to go before your pizza gets there, man? Uh, let's see here. Was there anything else? Anything else? No. Um, I, I did want to throw out at you, uh, Bobby, how, how come we haven't talked about a Magnum TA episode? Because, oh, okay. because one thing I was thinking of today as I'm watching all this stuff is that when Magnum's career came to an end, that was damaging to the industry as a whole. And, yeah, and I think that's something to kind of stop and look at. But other than that, I think uh, I think I'm all caught up for the week. How about you? Okay, well, it's the first of the week, New Year, and uh, I'm just going to tell you like I tell I me, mean, I'm I'm going to try to wash my hands, wear my mask, and social distance, and try to take care of myself mentally, man. You know, and not be too hard on myself. Um, you know, and with that said, I really. Man, I'm just um, I'm hoping some changes come that are positive in 2021. I'm gonna stay uh, as optimistic as possible, and uh, I'm just glad we had time to record this podcast today. Um, and I'm glad to be back with all the wrestling fans out there. We're glad to have you. Please share our podcast. Please tell a friend. Please retweet us. I'm at Bobby Blaze 744. Jeremy is at the Geek is Cast, and a joint account is Bell to Bell Blaze. We would really appreciate it. We're stuck at a couple different numbers right now as far as listeners for the week goes uh, and also as far as followers overall go, and we'd like to do something about that in 2021. So also, if you have any ideas for us, please send them in at those um, Twitter addresses at uh, Bell to Bell Blaze or the Geek of Cast, or myself at Bobby Blaze 744 I'd appreciate it very much. I love the feedback that I do get. Uh, we appreciate it when you listen to our show. Uh, anyway, with that said, Jeremy, you can get us out of here, man. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, with that going on there, let's uh, keep in mind, 
um, you know, get out there, but uh, stay safe about it. Let's try to get this year off to the right start. Don't be a dick to anybody. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Bobby Blaze. Bye bye, everybody. If we just find the off button. <laughs>